come and have a seat. We're going to hear from Dean very soon. So uh, just while you're getting settled, um, we're going to have Christine come. She took charge of, of uh, organizing our decorating. Stage one, I hear this is stage one. There's more vision to come, maybe, ish. We'll see. We're pretty excited about what happened so far. So Christine, why don't you come and just share with us your thoughts? Thank you, and thank you, Dean. Um, I'm sure you've all had a look around, and if you notice all the snowflakes, they were made by many, many different people of many different ages from our community, and so our decorating this year was truly a community effort. And as individual, what was I trying to say? So each, in, each snowflake is an individual. It's, they're all unique, just like we are, and they're all beautiful, and um, when you bring them all together, they are beautiful like we are as a community. Yeah. They all fit together. Yeah. 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 Christine, and thank you so much for taking on the decorating. I appreciate it very much. It's great. Are you using this microphone today? Are you using this microphone today? I was just, okay, excellent. Great. Let's just take a minute to pray for Dean. Lord, I lift Dean up to you now, and I thank you for what a good friend he is, and a good husband and a good dad, and he's just a really, um, yeah, he's just an important friend to me and to Wade, and um, a, a big part of our, our church family here, and I ask that you would speak through him today that you would give him a deep clarity and peace as he talks, that he would be able to really sense what is from you that you would have for us and for him. And, um, and I ask again that he would be encouraged by this time just as we would be. And I totally trust that you're going to be glorified through this time. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Good morning. <laughs> hey, Dan. Um, okay. I read this thing about silence and how uncomfortable it is, so I thought I'd start with silence, but <laughs> I'm done that now. Moving on. Um, as many of you know, I helped out with Chili Wagon for a long time, and yay. There's different ways of doing food ministry, serving people. One way is like this, a cafeteria kind of style of feeding people. And there's certain advantages to it. It's, it's a relatively easy way to do it. You know, it's, um, it's easy to keep everything clean. And it's, so people, would, people who are hungry would come to you. You feed them. Um, it's very safe. If you're the person serving, there's this nice divide between you and the people you're serving. It feels very comfortable. Chili Wagon, we didn't do that. We did it out of the back of the truck. 
looked a lot more like a CFL tailgate party. Woo! <laughs> so, I mean, we served out of the back of a pickup down at um, Grandview Park, and in the midst of the people, where, where people were, and in some ways it was a pain to be there, because they're like right here, like literally, I had to block people physically from coming too close to the chili pot to keep it uncontaminated, you know, and it was like, sometimes people would, people would be right in your face. But on the other hand, it was really cool because we were part of them. It was like, it was like a, a you know, a dinner, a family dinner almost, just bigger and outside. But you know, it was more like this, more like this. So that's more like, um, what solidarity would look like. So we're gonna talk about that this morning. Um, first, we have to back up a little. So we're working our way through or looking at aspects of the Vineyard Canada fusion document. And part of me just really hates this. And I don't, I really have to think about this. I think it's, I just don't wanna to be told what to think kind of rebel at the idea of having a statement of faith. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, um, then I looked at the vision statement, or the, the fusion document, and if you read it, I was like, yeah, you know, I believe all this. I'm okay with this. This, like, a, when if I read it, I, that's really what my heart is. So that tells me that this is the right place for me to be. So it's not, I feel a lot better about it. I don't know how any of that applies to you, but you can think about that. It's, I think it's important because it guides us. Like, it's, it's just good theology in there, and it's very succinct. It's a one-page document. Um, I think we can learn a lot from it. It's divided into kind of the two parts, Encounter Jesus and then live the story. So Encounter Jesus is kind of the more theological kind of this is who God is, and the live the story is the more what we do about it. So I'm going to read an excerpt of it, and that's kind of going to be the basis of what I'm going to talk about this morning. So Jesus announced that his own mission was to proclaim good news to the poor, comfort the brokenhearted, and bring freedom to the oppressed. How did he do this? He announced and demonstrated the good news that the kingdom of God had arrived. He told parables, he engaged in practical works of love and service, he healed the sick and cast out demons, he raised the dead, he gave sight to the blind, he embraced the outcasts. His life demonstrated the relentless love of God a love that reaches the most alienated parts of our lives. And the second part, living the story. In the spirit of the one we follow, we stand in solidarity with the marginalized and oppressed and are striving to live that out with increasing integrity. For we recognize that no one is truly free while others are oppressed. So that's more what we're gonna be talking about here. The, we stand in solidarity with the marginalized and oppressed, 
and no one is truly free while others are oppressed. So we're going to unpack that a little. First of all, solidarity. Um, this is a cool quote I got somewhere online, and I can't even remember where, so there's no. It's somewhere out there. It's, it's good, though. Trust me. It is a simple fact that we cannot live and exist well independently of others. We are interdependent beings. Solidarity looks upon this interdependence as something good, something positive, a thing to be cherished. Now, in many ways, this goes against our culture, where we are very independent and self-centered in our culture. So this idea that it is good to be interdependent on each other is a little foreign to us and a little difficult for us to even do because, um, well, we'll talk about that more later, but it's just, it's kind of foreign for us, even though it's a good thing and it's, it's very scriptural and it's very, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you know God is a trinity, so there's, within God himself, there's this loving community. So we, we live in love and community because of that. Here's a quote from John Paul II. There's this whole document he wrote on this. Um, so this is just one small part of it. Solidarity is not a feeling of vague compassion or shallow distress at the misfortunes of so many people, both near and far. On the contrary, it is a firm and persevering determination to commit oneself to the common good. That is to say, to the good of all and of each individual, because we are all really responsible for all. So we're not talking about just feeling bad that bad things are happening to other people. We're talking about actually doing something meaningful about that. Because ultimately that's our responsibility is far greater than for only ourselves. So we're standing in solidarity with the marginalized and oppressed. Well, who are the marginalized and oppressed? And then really anyone who doesn't have a voice, anyone, a person or a group of people who are treated as unimportant. So it's kind of tricky because we're talking about people who you don't see. Like some of them you, don't even, you wouldn't even notice. If people are really marginalized, they're the people that we don't even see in society often. So, anyone? Who do you think? Can name some people groups or people who might think of as marginalized and oppressed. Mm-hmm, Aboriginals. Unborn children, yes. Mm-hmm. Disabled. I have a few. Um, poor homeless First Nations, people with disability. Other parts of the world, there's a lot of people suffering for a lot of different reasons that we, like, because they are poor or because they're in the midst of war. Um, something I never really thought about is people who are housebound. 
like since my wife's been in the car accident and not been able to leave the house much, and since she's an extrovert and is just driving her crazy to be alone all the time, I've really realized <laughs> there's a lot of people who are stuck in their own homes. And it's elderly and physically disabled people and, and they are in need of love as much as everyone else and, and often very, very lonely. I'm just gonna keep repeating this so you might, you might remember it. We're standing in solidarity with marginalized and, and oppressed. Now we're gonna look at the second part a little more. No one is truly free while others are oppressed. Hmm. So we're, we are, we're working to bring about shalom. Now I don't know if you know Hebrew well, but shalom is like an Old Testament world word for for peace but peace is too shallow of a word for what shalom really is shalom is completeness wholeness health peace welfare safety soundness tranquility prosperity perfectness fullness rest harmony the absence of agitation or discord it's like an all-encompassing peace if you know everything right in the world kind of peace. It is, it is what the Garden of Eden was like before the fall. It's, it's, and it really is what, well, it's what heaven's going to be like, but it's also what we are doing here is trying to bring about shalom as much as we can in each other's lives. And I was trying to think of an example from scripture about solidarity with the oppressed and you know a few people came to mind and then all of a sudden I was like Jesus <laughs> right I mean think about it I don't like a lot of the uh, for a lot of the Old Testament if you've read the story God was kind of far off because there was always there always was intermediaries like Moses or the priests, or there's always kind of this distance between God and, and humanity. And um, until Jesus came, that's, it was kind of a distant relationship. And then because of God's love for us, he was just like, you know, I got to do something better than this. And he was like, I know, I'll just live in their midst. And, and coincidentally, we're, we're in, in Christmas season now, which is all about... God coming into our midst, but it's crazy. Like, I don't know if you've thought about this, but why would, if God is who God is, and God is like created all this and, um, and holy, like holy to the point where there is no evil, there is no bad, and bad is kind of repugnant to him. Like it, it is the opposite. So he decides, well, I'm just going to live in the midst of all this sin and mess. It's nuts. It's like, it's just, it's a crazy thing. Um, I don't think we really get it. It's such an enormous paradigm shift that, that God is willing to be in our midst like that. And God shows us 
how to relate to others by how he relates to us. So we're called to do the same thing, to, to not just help others, but to be in relationship, to be in solidarity with each other. A little scripture on the incarnation from Hebrews 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, so that's us, Jesus shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, which is us. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. So just crazy solidarity with us, that he would live as we live. So what should we do? Well, the whole idea is that we come alongside people. We're not helping people from a position of power or superiority, um, which is far easier to do, really. It's far easier just to, I don't know, give money to someone or to not really be in relationship, but just do something that makes me feel good about helping, even though I might not actually be helping. So really, I think step one is just to see, to be able to see things in, through God's eyes, to be able to see the marginalized, to be able to see the broken around us. And then step two is, hmm, not on there. Step two is to do something about it. And it, and, and it will be something done in love. Um, Love is the verb of solidarity, so we act in love. Gosh, I feel like we need a, a joke. <laughs> I feel like I should tell a joke, but... <laughs> okay, I don't have a joke anyway, so, you know, <laughs> we'll carry on. <laughs> I'm not here to entertain you. <laughs> so, step one again, you know, just God give us the eyes to see um, someone around us who we can help and help us to know exactly what we should do. And, you know, don't, <laughs> and do it, yeah, <laughs> that's an important step because if you don't do it, nothing gets done. There's some important things about this. One thing is you don't have to respond to every need you see. There is a lot of broken people and a lot of needs out there. And if you just start to do right to do everything for anyone, everyone, you will kill yourself rather quickly. And you will be empty, and then you'll be a person who needs help. So that's not very helpful. So you only need to do what 
you really feel God's calling you to do. Just because you see a need doesn't mean you have to do it. Just being Jesus where you are. I love, I was reading, I was reading Mother Teresa quotes in preparation for this, which is a, an interesting exercise in itself. I mean, she was all about solidarity with the poor, like to the extent where if you wanted to help with her, you lived in poverty, just like the people you were helping. Like she was hardcore radical that way. But after she won the Nobel Peace Prize and afterward, someone asked her what, um, what should we do for world peace? And she said, go home and love your family. I mean, she was very much, she's just saying, if you help one person, you're doing such a huge thing. So never think that it's too small a thing. And um, yeah, there's so many different ways we can do this. Like it's, it's not prescriptive in any way. It's acting in love. It it, it really there's so it depends so much on what the needs are. Like Chili Wagon was away. What Mother Teresa did. Uh, Pivot Legal Society I think is really cool because they they focus on helping legally helping people who have no voice, particularly in the downtown east side, but just bringing about justice. So that's we often don't even think about that. We're, we tend to think more food and clothing, but it's much greater needs than that and much broader or steps of justice, trying to bring justice to people all over the world. Strathcona Vineyard's very good at coming alongside people. Even being a good neighbor, being a parent is, you're, is in a sense, you're being you're helping someone who has no voice, your children, or being a good husband, or a loving wife, or a good friend. It's so all-encompassing, this idea. And that's really, I mean, really what the incarnation is about is God being involved in everything down here on earth, through us. Of course, it's not easy. Um, I, re I read this really interesting blog by like a 26-year-old a talking about um, selfishness and just talking about things like Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and how self-focused all those things end up being and how hard it is to get out of that. Like, she just came to the point where she said, you know, I'm just, for a month, I'm just not going to do any of this. I'm just going to try to pray for other people. Because it's so, it, it's very subtle in, in many ways, but even, even Facebook, you know, where you're reading about other people, the whole way it's set up is about self. Because if you're reading something about someone else, immediately you have a chance to express your opinion. So even if, and, and you know, you post how you're feeling and blah, blah, blah. So it ends up being very self-centered. And our culture in general seems to be shifting that way even more than it used to be. And we do 
we, we live in a culture that very much values personal freedom. And in some ways, if you're in solidarity with other people, you're giving up your personal freedom because you're saying your needs are so important to me that I'm willing to give up my own needs. So it's countercultural. Busyness definitely distracts us. Um, and you know, it's just downright unpleasant to be around people who are really broken. For sure it is. And it, it, it can be really hard. And um, some of it is because it reminds us of our own brokenness. And it's really unpleasant when you see yourself in someone else. And you're like, oh, you know, something you've been trying to hide about yourself. So that's hard. And it's just hard to see other people suffering. And along that line, boundaries are okay. Boundaries are important. I know for a long time I didn't, I didn't get involved in helping ministries just because I was scared that it would take over. And um, one of the things I really learned is, you know, it's totally okay to say no to someone. In fact, it's often loving to say no. I'm not saying don't help, but I'm saying help to a point. Because um, particularly if someone's really hurting, they're, they're going to latch on to you and to an unhealthy degree often. So it's totally good to be, you know, I'm going to help you to hear this point. And at this point, you need to start doing something yourself. I'll help you. Do those steps, but you need to do them. I'm not doing everything for you. And that's a loving, helping relationship, and it's totally good. Even though when you say no, they might be really mad at you. Talking to myself here, I hate conflict, so I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'll do anything as long as there's no conflict. Really unhealthy. Okay. Um, Beth Moore... So she's a, a woman Bible teacher in the U.S. Many of you are familiar with. Uh, here's a quote from her. The best way to keep from getting sucked into the superficial, narcissistic mentality that money, possessions, and sensuality can satisf satisfy and secure us is to deliberately give ourselves to something much greater. Jesus showed us that giving rather than getting is the means to receiving. To find yourself, your true self, you must lose yourself in something larger. So the things that our society tells us should make us feel better, like having money, having possessions, or the whole oversexed society we live in, which just sells sex really as um, a solution to our loneliness, when really sex without relationship is not a solution at all. It often makes things worse. All that is, is wrong. It's not going to make us feel better. Um, kind of counterintuitively, when we pour out our lives for others, that's when we become fully human, and that's when we... It brings healing to us. And you know, I'm not, I'm not 
I don't want you to think that I'm good at this because I'm not. I'm not. I'm just telling you, we should all do this. I'm not. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm. <laughs> I feel pretty self-centered most of the time, so I don't know. <laughs> so a good first step would be, um, even right now today, just to pray about who is there already that you know that God might want you to come alongside and help out or do something? And what does God want you to do about it? And, you know, um, just listening is a huge deal for a lot of people. A lot of people are so lonely in our society that if you can just be there and listen, and you don't even have to help, you can just be like, yeah, that, <laughs> boy, that really sucks. That is so helpful. It's so humanizing to someone. This is a picture which you totally can't even see, so that's really not very helpful. Um, <laughs> so the dark blob on the right, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a child, a boy child, who is um, very destitute on the streets. And the, on the left is kind of a mother figure who is comforting the child. Um, I just thought it was a very beautiful picture of solidarity, of, of love and care, and how this woman just embraces the brokenness of the child. And she's not doing anything per se to help other than just being there, which really is so important. Um, I'm not even going to read those. Those are on your bulletin. Those are questions you can think about. This always happens to me. I always feel like I have so much more to say. That's really the end of my sermon, you know? Hey. Yeah, you can definitely come and look at it. It's a cool picture. Um, whoo. That's pretty crazy. So I just, um, I know, I don't know if a lot of you remember Erin Morgan when she helped with Chili Wagon. She, uh, she would always call the people we were with our friends, our friends at the park. I just thought that was such a great way to look at it because it's so easy to have, even if you're doing something like Chili Wagon, it's so easy to have kind of an us and them mentality. But if you do it for any length of time and you really talk to people, you realize, you know, these are people. And a lot of them have the same struggles I have. And 
they're just not coping quite as well as I. It, and it's more, or, or you meet people that just have had like three or four horrific events happen to them. And it could happen to any one of us. It's the, the, the distance between how we live and living on the streets is not really that great. I mean, for me, it's probably a month of pay and we would be on the streets. So we're not, though we may feel comfortable, we're not really that safe. The things that we depend upon are actually quite fragile. So I'd like to pray for us. Oh, okay. Um, so Lord, I just want to thank you First of all, for the incarnation, just the wonder that you chose to be in the midst of us and just how radical and crazy that is. And so too, I pray that you would give us the, um, just the strength and the willingness to be in solidarity with those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed. Um, open our eyes to the needs around us. And I pray you'd show us what we can do. And just give us the, the fortitude to follow through on the things we see. Let us never think that anything we do in love is too small because it isn't. Any act of love is, is bringing your kingdom to earth. It's a small piece of heaven in our midst. So just pray you'd empower us. Amen. Joanne has just asked for us to sit quietly for a few minutes. Okay. No, not at all.
just find it a privilege to stand beside Dean. My name is Kathleen. I'm part of our leadership team here, our, our servant leadership team. And <clears throat> just deferring to Joanna, she's also, of course, our assistant pastor. But it's amazing for us just to sit in this space together and know that we're all a team. We're all a family, extended family. And uh, So I just feel like I just such a privilege to stand beside Dean, who's our brother and who's modeled such a servant heart in our community. I just wanted to share a quick testimony in terms of, like um, some of you might know that Gordy and I used to spend years and years on the streets regularly, not living on the streets, but purposely going down on the streets. This was in Calgary. And that's where we had the privilege of meeting Gordy Gibosh originally, the radical Gordy. We used to go down pray and then bring people back to this cafe and Gordy was there Gordy Gibosh uh, slinging hamburgers and serving food and uh, for some reason the Lord had us go to that little spot because it was it was uh, you know it was open past midnight we used to hang out on the streets quite late at night go down to um, down to the inner city there and then coming to, Cal coming to Vancouver, we just felt like the Lord shut us down because we just felt like we needed to have a greater expansion in our lives to be, uh, I think he was just taking us on a new journey of this kind of solidarity thing. It's not us and them. So true what, what Dean said. And uh, the Lord just kind of gave me a new revolution in my thinking. Instead of outreach, he, he started to speak to my heart about inreach. <laughs> You know, especially with what we went through with our own son, uh, not not kicking him out of our house when he went through his hard times, walking with him through that, and you guys helped us so much in that. But now we have, in the last three, four years, we're starting to bring uh, international students into our home, spending significant time and seeing the Holy Spirit really move on them just because we share our space with them. So I, I just appreciate what you shared. It's, it's like, you know, in the early days, if you weren't a radical person out on the street, you know, you were not, you, you were just not such an awesome, you know, social justice person. And I just met someone just a few minutes ago that said that she's, she does a lot of things with social justice people, but they're alienated from the church. Why is that? I don't have the answer for that. But I do think that people like Dean help us move forward, and Wade and Terry Ann are helping us move forward in what it means to be in solidarity, be, to be in significant relationship with people, not just do things for people or have people do things for us. So um, I just, that's my heart that we can find a way of being significantly in each other's homes more often. And just sharing, taking the time to share. Do you want to respond to that, Dean? <laughs> yeah, I just, I, it's so much more than just helping the homeless. It's, it's, it's just, there are needs in every segment of society. And, and God has placed each of us where we are. So we touch the people around us. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that today. I feel like lately I've actually been really struggling and asking God 
know, we pray for the poor in our home every night, but I've been thinking, because in the past we've been more involved with actually going and practically feeding people, or there was a cold weather alert and I got an email and somebody said, oh, I put a notice on the front door of your church for the guy who sleeps outside to let him know where the shelters were. But we're half hour away and I'm in the middle of making dinner. And, and to be honest, I've just been quite overwhelmed with what's been going on with our own family in the last couple months. I feel like just survival has been primary. And um, it's very encouraging to me today to have you say that what I'm doing as a mom is valuable. And um, I know that, but I think, yeah, it's easy to think that, that this only looks one way. And it's really helpful for me to be reminded that it looks a lot of different ways, and that I have a really lonely late neighbor who lives next door to me, who I probably talk to once a month, maybe. So I thought, well, I could just go see her this week. <laughs> so that helps. I also, um, the reason I asked for quiet first is, um, well, Aldona has something on her heart. She's going to come share it in just a minute. But I wanted to make sure that we didn't try and talk over or gloss over or dance over the discomfort that comes with this topic. I think that it's right and good, especially, I mean, like Gordy said earlier today, I think it's so appropriate for the first week of Advent that what we're talking about is what we don't have yet, what we don't do yet, or what's not right in the world yet, because that is the spirit of Advent. The spirit of Advent is anticipation and waiting and longing for Jesus. And um, I was reading this this morning, and I just kept looking at it thinking, like, oh, maybe I'm supposed to bring it. Um, but I, I, I have a Bible that has some meditations and different things for the seasons of the church year. And, um, and there's just a, one writing in here um, by a guy who, who says, you know, Unfortunately, our culture fosters this blasé, smug approach to Christianity. C.S. Lewis says we're, we're too easily pleased, and it's easier for us to kind of numb ourselves to how the world aches. Um, but Advent is the season of the church year that is supposed to ignite that longing in our hearts. Advent is the season of the church year that we're supposed to say, we are waiting for Jesus to come. And... Um, we catch little glimpses through Chilliwag and through times like this where we see glimpses of the Messiah-healed world. And, and, and that sparks it. But I love this, this writing. It actually says, all of the best Advent hymn captures the spirit of groaning and longing for the Messiah's better world. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, with the dark, unresolved melody, it cracks our hearts open. And yet we know that Messiah has come even when we wait for him to come again. So Advent is a deliciously painful mix of joy and anguish. So Advent is supposed to train us to ache. It's supposed to be something that makes us long for Jesus. And it's a time to acknowledge and feel and embrace the longing for the Messiah's birth and the world's rebirth. So this writer says, we sing aching songs while we light candles and festoon the church with greenery. That's what we do. And it's Advent longing. And, and we can't imagine it another way. 
Augustine of Hippo prayed, everlasting God in whom we move and breathe and have our being, you have made us for yourself so that our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So it's okay to feel a bit restless with all of this this morning and not quite settled and walk out of here asking God what we're supposed to do about it and wanting for something better because that's, that's Advent. That's what we're meant to do. So did you want to say anything about that? Or do you want to? You're good. Okay. When uh, Joanna asked us to just sit silently for a while, that was actually a little bit torture for me. But um, um, it was r actually a really good exercise, a good thing to do, because what was really um, the two things that were just like, was uh, in Dean's teaching, coming alongside and the boundaries. And, um, you know, in brief, I'll, be, you know, I'll just be honest. I, I work downtown mostly with moms and kids, a whole bunch of people that have little babies up until two years old. So it's crazy. And um, the stats are about in a year, I get about 540 Aboriginal, mostly women, walk through my office in one year. I've been there for nine and a half years. So I know a lot of people. And um, I went through a phase last year where I didn't even want to eat on Commercial Drive because I'd see too many people. And then they're sitting down having coffee with me, you know, and eating my french fries. I'd, I, I'd go to Britannia, I'm in the steam room. Oh, okay, here we go again. I, I just got off work. I saw you last night at three o'clock in the morning. I'm in the steam room now, and I'm swimming. And then I'd walk to go to Santa Barbara from Georgian Commercial, you know, up to Santa Barbara. I'd walk in the alleys with my hood on. Like this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go buy vegetables. And then um, that had to stop, you know. I, I couldn't keep hiding and, and taking time off because I had built so much relationship. Actually, God put these women in my life who actually ministered to me. That's the true story. That's what really happened. And because um, they taught me about honesty, about transparency, about reaching out for help with pain. And so they taught me a lot. They taught me how to pull up my own bootstraps and ride my own Palomino, passing on. And, um, and so, so coming alongside, like it, it, that's the thing, is that if we, if we meet someone or if we you know, minister to that, that person that's sleeping outside on our, our porch, our, our Jesus' house on our porch, then we have relationship. We start establishing relationships. So coming alongside means not just doing things because it makes you feel good. You're going to see the dude afterwards, you know, right? Maybe when you don't feel like it, but you're going to run into people that you come alongside with, and then that's the boundary piece. You have to know your own personal boundaries, and I think that's a very individual thing for each person. I had to discover what mine were. It took me a couple of years to learn, but I know what my boundaries are. But the coming alongside piece is, it's not just the word, it's, it's relationship, you know? And um, I just thank God I, I don't have to walk down the alleys anymore with my hoodies, you know, because I know my boundaries now. Hey, how are you? You know, I'm with my child right now. I'm on Aldona mom time. I'll talk to you tonight, right? 
Would you like a coffee, though? That kind of thing. So thank you for having us sit in that place because it, you know, it was good. Yeah. So uh, if you, I encourage you if uh, there's something stirring in your heart to take time with somebody that you trust to pray with them. If there isn't anybody nearby that you're in relationship with that you are comfortable to ask for prayer, then you're very welcome to come up here and ask for prayer from somebody. You can just come and sit here, just wait nearby, clear a snowflake, and, uh, and somebody will come and, and pray with you. And um, I'm really grateful to... Uh, to have been here today, so thanks for sharing. It's great. So I'm going to um, pray a blessing, and uh, at this point in time, if you'd like to go, we bless you to go. Um, it's uh, nearly time for those of you who have kids in Kids Church to sign out and pick up your kids. So um, why don't we stand together? So Lord, we come to you today as the broken ones. Lord, we come to you acknowledging that we do not have everything all together and that we come together every week because we know that we do life better together when we can't make it alone. Would you cause us to make us more like you every day? Would you, by your Holy Spirit, make us more like you every day? That our hearts would be tuned towards those who are broken, whether it's the person in, in bed next to us, in the next room, in the next house, or we meet on the street or in our workplace, wherever they are, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would give us courage to act, and that the ideas and people that you've laid on our hearts today, Lord, would you make us divinely restless? until we rest in you. Lord, we trust you for our provision this week. We trust you for the grace that we need to love our neighbors and our families this week. Lord, we trust you to provide for us physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And I bless you, my family, to go in peace and love and serve the Lord this week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, be blessed. Amen. Great. Thank you, Dean.